Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're going to love today's show and you'll want to listen to the whole thing because you're going to hear from a very successful CEO who basically conquered his inner voice and became a very aware, very successful person along the way. So the whole story of how he got there and the science and the tips and tricks and tools that he used are scattered throughout the episode. So listen to the whole thing and enjoy. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that that saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks may actually have some truth to it because they just looked at a new study of 54 human brains and they said maybe adult brains are not capable of forming new memories. The study showed that adults stop making neurons in the hippocampus, which is known as the memory center of the brain. And in the samples they tested, in young brains, there were lots of new, new neurons. But as people age, the numbers decline, even starting at age 13. Uh, the good news, though, is that this isn't the last word on that study, since it's just about impossible to study the brains of living people this way. The researchers behind the study, they want to understand other explanations for the results, since other studies show neurogenesis varies amongst people and animals. Now, my take on this is that it would make sense if you don't have the right levels of a compound called brain-derived nootropic factor. If you can't build new neurons because you don't have the juice your brain needs to do it, then you're going to have that problem. You can raise BDNF through almost every technique that increases mitochondrial function that are in my book, Headstrong, including cold exposure, high-intensity interval training, intermittent fasting, and exercise. Exercise raises BDNF meaningfully, and there's a supplement called Neuromaster, yeah, it's one that I make, that raises BDNF four times more than exercise. I just turned 45. My hippocampal volume is in the 88th percentile for my age group, which makes me think, maybe I'm doing something right by supporting my BDNF levels. Maybe you should too. In the meantime, I'm going to sort of say, you know, I am an old dog, sort of, and you can teach me new tricks. And if you don't, really think that's possible, then you should play me in ping pong because I'll kick your ass. All right, there we go. I just learned to play ping pong. I'm kind of good. Not that good. On that note, let's talk about today's guest. Today's guest is Eric Langshire. Eric is a best-selling author. In fact, his book I'm holding up right now, and it's called Start Here. And the reason I want to have him on the show today is that he talks a lot on mastering your own well-being. Eric had a very successful career in corporate America, left the rat race, and started an investment company to focus on improving the human condition. He started something called Care Pages, which is one of the very first social networks way back in the day. And his book called Start Here, Master the Lifelong Habit of Wellness is something that I really enjoyed. I got to speak with Eric on stage at something called YPO, a Young President's Organization event a while back. Got to know each other. 
And this guy's really studied how to be happy both as a corporate executive and just as a human being. And I think he's got something to offer for you guys. So Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Happy to be with you. Tell me a little bit about what you did as a corporate executive. Why should we, how successful were you? Why should we listen to you? <laughs> well, maybe the place to drop in is to begin with a confession and let you and, and your listeners know that my career was mostly an accident. I um, <laughs> took the first job that was offered to me out of undergrad, worked for a company called Pratt and Whitney, the jet engine manufacturer, and ended up spending 13 years with them and their parent company, United Technologies, then went to work for another Canadian company, Bombardier Aerospace. You know, I had a great ride of it and, and loved the industry and, and loved what I was doing, but then had the Eric, calling. Come on. You didn't just work for them. You were president of a large aerospace company. You know, um, yeah, at a young age, it was, it was just a great ride. And again, you know, all kind of accidental. I was just putting one foot in front of the other. But the change for me really came in 2000 when I got the bug to become an entrepreneur and, and uh, walked away from the corporate America world to start my, my first company, Care Pages, which really came out of a personal experience associated with the birth of my first son, Matthew, who's about to turn 20. And Matthew was born with a congenital heart defect and had, had to have a series of open heart surgeries in the first few years of his life. And it was one of those incredibly stressful moments in uh, in our lives, but also wonderful in, in so many ways. You know, obviously being a first-time parent is, uh, is a remarkable thing. But then, you know, to go from hoping that Matthew is being born with, you know, with all the gifts to be smart and athletic and uh, good looking and uh, have all the social skills to quickly transitioning to, boy, you know, we just want this kid to live and to know what it is to be happy and lead a good life turned out to be a, a blessing and really set the you know, course of our lives on a very different trajectory. So you're president of a big aerospace company and then you had a, a child with some serious health conditions. Did you just quit? one day? Like, how did you go about doing that? So Matthew was born in 1998. And at the time of his first surgery, when he was a week old, we created an HTML web page, a care page, really a social network to keep family and friends informed of how Matthew was doing and how we were doing. And it's hard to even think back. I mean, it's not even 20 years ago now, but the internet was really in its infancy. And, you know, we weren't, you know, Facebook didn't exist. MySpace was not around. And we used this tool, this care page to keep family and friends informed of how we were doing and how Matthew was doing. And it turned out to be just a, a, a tremendous, tremendous support mechanism and really a communication aid in our world. And so by the time Matthew had had his third surgery, we were receiving thousands of hits a day on the site. And when there was a message board where people could leave notes of support had a huge, huge impact on our emotional well-being and the emotional support that our family and friends and colleagues were able to uh, to bring to us. And my wife, who's a pediatrician, and, and I was in the airplane business, we thought, let's make this service available to patients and families everywhere. And we quit our jobs. We said, what's the worst thing that can happen? It, it wouldn't work. We'll go back and get another uh, another job. And then here we are now, 17 years later, and still working in technology and entrepreneurship and, and loving it. It's funny because... When Care Pages first came out, uh, one of my good friends had a, at the time, like the youngest surviving preemie born. And I actually used Care Pages right around the time that you guys launched it because that was how he stayed in touch with family and friends when his child was in, you know, the ICU almost all the time. So it really was one of the first social networks and uh, a really an impactful thing that helped a lot of people at other time of need. I don't think a lot of people understood that that was started by you know, president of big aerospace company. And since then, you've been on this path where you say, look, corporate America is getting sicker and sicker. And you've studied this this well-being thing through the lens of both being a, 
a substantially accomplished executive, as well as being the father of a child with meaningful health problems and sort of looking at what's the impact on humans for that and then put it into uh, into a book about it. So let, let's start with why corporate America is so sick and then let's get into your recommendations for what to do about it. So sure. what's going on? Why, why is yeah. America so screwed up? Well, not America, well, but why is American America and even European doesn't really matter, but why is the corporate world so sick? Well, I think there's two reasons. One is externally focused. The other is really internally focused. If we look at what's just going on externally, you know, the, the pace of play just continues to accelerate. Technology which has improved our lives in so many ways, is also making us sicker. Kleiner Perkins did a study a couple of years ago to measure how many times we check our cell phones every day. It's 150 times. It's absolutely yeah, that's remarkable. It. That's it? I could do better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. But the pace of play is, is just it's accelerating. And 75% of Americans now report that you know, they're, they're, they're stressed. Um, you know, since 1999, the percentage of Americans that are on antidepressants has increased from you know just under 17 percent to over 13 percent. You know we have somewhere between 50 and 70 million Americans who are you know suffering from sleep disorders. Four percent of Americans take you know sleeping pills to sleep at night. We are just increasingly you know and just increasingly uh, living at the effect of you know these these external forces on our lives. And the thing about it though, and this we write about this and start here. Is really an inside game. And this was also very much linked to my own experience. Somewhere around my 40th birthday, I remember waking up one morning and realizing as I was, you know, making my way to brush my teeth, that I was living at the effect of a hyperactive mind and was very, very anxious. And it never occurred to me that the you know, that feeling of stomachache feeling that I lived with pretty much every day of my life was truly <laughs> anxiety. And I decided I wanted to do something about it. So this is really what got me on the path of, of researching what can we do about it and, and how, do we, how do we bring you know, a level of uh, sanity and, and, and calmness to our own existence, starting with my own. How did you learn that that feeling in your stomach was anxiety? Like, like I, I went through the same experience. I'd love to share my story with you as well. But for people listening, maybe you have some anxiety that you don't know is anxiety. But just t- tell me the story of that. Yeah. Well, I began to read. So I said, you know, my, my whole thing is I'm always looking for the most efficient way to go from A to B. And so in this case, what I was looking for, the most efficient way to, to start to feel better, to start to feel happier and, and more calm and more peaceful. So I began to read and, and started picking up self-help books and started reading philosophy. I had the view that there's a lot that I could learn from people who have come before, including the, you know, the greatest thinkers. Um, throughout the ages, from the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, the modern American transcendentalists, and modern European existentialists, and just began to to study, you know, the, the great philosophical thought of the ages. And two things happened. So the first thing that happened was I realized that in fact this ever-present stomachache was in fact anxiety, and it started to grow as I became aware of it. And started to put a label on it as anxiety. I became acutely you know, sensitive to the fact that I was really uh, massively stressed. So that was thing one. And then thing two is you know, when we do thump th- you know, anything frequently enough, I began to see the patterns in all of this ancient wisdom and all of the knowledge that you know, has come before about our life well lived, and started to apply some of the thinkings and decode the patterns and start to you know experiment with different practices in my own life. And that 
set me out on this path of, you know, start here and, and like cross training. So there wasn't like a religious wake up call one day, like, oh my God, that's, that's anxiety in my stomach. It just, it was a dawning awareness as you studied personal development and, and the wisdom of the masters, basically. Right. Yeah. We by the way, because of the growing, you know, the growing feeling of anxiety as I started to label it, or just, you know, my, literally my body was screaming, stop doing what you're doing because this doesn't feel, this just doesn't feel good. I went through this time where at the dawn of, of the internet as we know it, there were only 10 web pages. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was the first guy to sell anything over the internet. And there was a time when I knew everything on the internet. And as it started to grow exponentially, I started sleeping less and less because I'm like, there's so much good stuff here. I'm just going to absorb it all. And I look back, I'm like, why? Wow, I'm barely sleeping and I'm completely wigging out if my email goes down, which was a, a standard thing in the early days of the internet. Like you can't check messages for a day because someone misconfigured something. And I would just feel like I was going to die. And after a couple, maybe a year of this during the, the first hyper growth of the internet, I'm like, I am completely wigged out by this like information overload and like a fear of not knowing something that I, I could know that was interesting that I wanted to know. But I didn't label it as anxiety. I, I'm just like, I'm going to have to accept defeat or failure. I, I'm going to fail fail to know everything on the internet uh, because well, it's growing faster than my ability to absorb it. And that was one wake up call. But then the real one for me, I still would have said, well, it's not fear. I'm just like, I wanted to know. And it's more like I'm failing. I don't like to fail. I went to this personal development retreat and there was all sorts of crazy stuff going on. And there was one exercise people were doing and in full disclosure, they were hitting pillows with bats. It was mm. a, a very high-tech personal development retreat. Anyway, some people were really getting into this, and I'm like, these people are completely nuts, but I couldn't stand to be in the room with them when they were doing that. And it was like, I have to go. And so the facilitator, who is this incredibly wise woman who's about 80, she, she said, no, you have to come and sit in here. I'm like, I can't do it. And keep in mind, okay, I'm a successful entrepreneur. I'm, I'm like, I don't know, 30 years old or something like that. You know, I, I'm master of my own universe in my own head anyway. And I can't sit in a room with a bunch of people hitting pillows with bats. And she said, well, why can't you sit here? And I said, I don't know. Like, like, there's a feeling. And she goes, what is it? I, I go, I'm pissed off. And she goes, that's not the feeling. And what triggered me to tell you this, Eric, is you said the feeling in your stomach. And she said, well, do you feel anything in your body? And I said, yeah. I, I feel this weird feeling in my gut and she looks at me like right in the face and she goes, that's called fear. And I'm like, yeah. oh, really? Like there's a name for that. And, and that actually unlocked a lot for me. I'm like, oh, so I am feeling fear, but I, I had told myself there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be anxious about. Therefore I'm not feeling anxiety. And since then I've, I've met thousands of people who have anxiety, but don't label it as anxiety. So they don't know it's hackable. And so your path is interesting because you just one day sort of after studying for a while going, well, I know I'm not happy. What is it? You came to the point, all right, I'm anxious about something. What were you anxious about? Everything. And my pattern was I'd, I'd wake up in the morning and my eyes would open, my brain would turn on. And then just the, the torrent of, of, of thoughts, uncontrolled thoughts would just start just, you know, what do I got to do in the day? What's going on with the kids about this thing that the conversation that I had the day before, the conversation I need to have later that day is the, the, the litany of to do's. And it all just would just pile on, pile on. And I had no control. And, and the irony is, you know, I had learned how to manage large businesses and I had learned how to, you know, manage, you know, thousands of people, but I didn't really know how to manage my own mind. 
And that was an incredible awakening. Thanks for being vulnerable enough to say that. When someone looks at you know the president of a big company, you're like, that's a guy who has his shit together. And what I think we're finding out is that no matter what degree of success you have in whatever you do, whether you know, you're an executive or an artist or a teacher, it doesn't really matter, a parent, you can still have anxiety and still be phenomenally successful. And that's not something that they teach, but it's something that you discovered, right? Right. Well, a lot of us use it to make us productive. We it just works. forget the fact, we just, it does work. We forget two facts, right? One is it makes us sick. And two is there, there are just better ways. And that's actually what, what I discovered is, you know, thing one, that well-being is a skill that can be trained. And, and the way to do it is to train the skill of attention, really get control of, of the mind. And then all of that can be done in a way that's deeply integrated into the living of our lives. What are you like One, today? Two, like, like describe your, your anxiety process or what, what goes on in your brain now versus 20 years ago. Yeah, I was just completely different. My experience of being alive is completely different. And I share this with people, you know, we've trained now thousands and thousands of people in this, you know, this methodology. Um, and just, you know, part of that is, is that our experience of being alive can just be fantastic. Imagine living with spaciousness, imagine living with peace. And then I know, David, you know, you're a practitioner of these arts and, you know, in the biggest of ways, right? But it, and then to be around that is just attractive for people. And, 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 and the irony too, in the business world, because I, you know, run a significant investment entity, I'm so much more successful than I ever was, because I've just bring a different energy to it. And, and I work, I work really hard, but it doesn't feel like work a lot of energy and I'm thinking myself as being in the energy management business. It's that last that last statement that I hope listeners really resonate with. It's that when you work on the stuff that you worked on this lifelong habit of well-being, it's easier. <laughs> like all the work that you're doing out of like fear of failure, which was a big motivator for me, all the energy that goes into that fear goes into the business instead so that it's much easier to do the things that you wanted to do. And that perspective is a reason also that like when we first met, I'm like, "Oh, we, let, let's have dinner like we're, we're both sharing a stage but it was one of those things oh this like this guy's not tweaking all the time and there are a lot of people who are successful who are really not that happy and not that comfortable to be around right and, and right. it's that feeling that you carry with you even though you know you're in now running a big investment company it's hard to put words on it and i'm hoping that people listening get a little sense of that just because of the scope of your success and your willingness to talk about the inner process that happens where a lot of executives just don't go there because part of being a corporate executive is you know that invincible kind of chest thumping you know i, I can manage this you know I'll hop on my jet of course the jet you manufactured in this case you know fly across the world and you know do my do my thing and you know run an ironman marriage marathon and all that, but that's not actually what's going on in your head anymore. Uh, but what happens, okay, you have a big investment and it just completely goes sideways. You know, you're going to lose a bunch of money and you know, someone's yelling at you. What goes on in your head? Well, it's a big question. <laughs> the, and it happens. Totally. I mean, it happens every day. Stuff goes, stuff goes sideways every day. You know, it's not always an investment, but it's a conversation. It's a deal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's this, it's that. Uh, it's, it's just, it's all part of the, the juice of, of life, right? And understanding that, and this is one of the practices that we, we write about in the book, of which there are nine, but this idea of inquiry, of questioning, you know, questioning our fundamental beliefs. Is it true? So is this good? Is it bad? And bringing a, a degree of equanimity to it. So it's, it's just so much more interesting. And I think productive in the business world say, okay, something, something's gone wrong. What can we learn from this? And what can we do to, you know, rat over, you know, something's gone wrong. 
who do we blame? Who are we going to fire? You know, who, uh, it's just it's just a whole different energetic. It's a different perspective, and what it does is it, it helps foster and create an environment where people can, you know, can truly you know out problems really early, where there's not a you know cover cover your butt kind of um, orientation to you know coming to work and 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 and. I mean, it's it's just remarkable what the the spirit of all of this stuff can amount to in sort of the corporate world. So, so it, ha- it, it, it happens and then it, instead of going, oh, I'm, I'm going to die or, you know, oh, th- this is terrible and sort of telling yourself a, a story that makes it more painful, like, what can I learn? Uh, but it, is there still that, like, the, the chest tightness, the, the, the teeth gnashing, the, the, the I'm not going to sleep well tonight? Or, or does that just not happen to you anymore? No, not over here. That doesn't. I don't experience yeah. that. Yeah. But it, listen, it took time. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, part of the journey for me especially in the early days, and, and again, this is what led us to writing the book, is when I started to explore these ideas, I was overwhelmed by the, the volume of things to pay attention to and, you know, call it the noise. There's, you know, there's the internal stuff, there's the external stuff, the diet and nutrition. And I had always been mostly focused on the, the external. So I had, you know, intense exercise program and run a, you know, a marathon every year and controlled my diet and, and certainly was one of the early, you know, bulletproof, you know, seekers and explorers and, and was open to great experimentation and with a view to, you know, how does it feel and what is my experience of this? Is that being the ultimate sort of proof point for me? But when I started to enter into the, this other domain of looking inside, you know, this is a great, one of the early quotes I remember reading from uh, Jung, which just um, absolutely resonated. I mean, he who looks outside dreams, he who looks inside awakens. I mean, I really did awake, awaken. And, and what I discovered was I needed to, to find the signal through all of the noise of all of the different ideas that are out there. So, that, so that's what Start Here really does is we we um, distilled this ancient wisdom into a set of uh, practices and programs. Then we went to the neuroscience community and the positive psychologists and said, what about these ancient ideas really work? Let's, let's get into the science behind it and let's prove, let's prove that this is an efficient path from going from A to B and let's see if we can measure it because that's, that's again, a big, a big, for me, an important on-ramp is into the science of it, but also to know that there's some empirical data here to support, you know, some evidence to support these, um, you know, these are big ideas. And that's what we, um, that's what we, we did in the book with my co-author, Nate Klemp. It was really remarkable to, to distill these ideas into practices and ideas that we can, we can, we can actually integrate into the living of our lives in a really efficient way that moves the needle on well-being. So, you know, to your question, you know, how do I feel today? It's just, it's, it's measurably different. Now, I'm happy you said measurable because how do we measure well-being? Well, we, it turns out we actually can measure well-being. We, we, yeah. So, um, there's lots of different ways we've developed. We worked with the University of Chicago scientists, and we developed an instrument that lets us measure productivity, um, emotional health, resilience to stress, focus, you know, 13 different measures that roll up into aggregate measures that actually give us a score, you know, on what we're sort of 
where is our set point? You know, set point of happiness, and and um, we can track changes in that set point, you know, over time. And it's just, it's really pretty cool. How long does it take to do the assessment? Uh, Ten minutes. Is this something you do every day? No, no, I do it. Every, I do it every quarter. Every quarter. Okay. Um, and we don't recommend that people do it every day. We, we the it's a it's a wonderful empirical uh, piece of evidence to to underscore you know what you're feeling but check in check in with with how you feel and that's really one of the um you know one of the really big drivers for us here what we're able to use it for in the business world because we've formed a, a company around this like cross training is we're really able to to use it to demonstrate to to employers that it's absolutely worth investing in your people because this very simple equation of you know, so goes human performance, so goes business performance. And where we dropped into this conversation, our, our people are impaired. And it's really quite remarkable. And we can, we can measure an improvement in people performance and then correlate that to improvement in business performance. And that's super cool. I've been lecturing to entrepreneurs uh, over the last year or so. And one of the big messages is that especially for younger companies, the company is a direct reflection of your energy. Like if, if you're off, your company will be off. And when companies hit the scale of, we'll call it small, mid-sized companies like Bulletproof and, and countless other companies out there, it becomes not just a measure of, of the founder or CEO's or executive team's energy, although the, those are heavily weighted, it's everyone's energy in the company. So if, if half your employees are unhappy for whatever reason, whether it's because of their home life or their corporate life or whatever else, uh, because they're you know, drinking diet soda all the time, it'll affect company performance and certainly well-being of people there. Uh, and, and I don't, they didn't teach you that at Warden. Uh, they haven't taught that right. kind of anywhere because it's very hard for us to measure the state of our well-being. Uh, and so your idea there that says, well, here's a, a repeatable quantitative metric uh, uh, that you can use yourself if you're running a company or if you're just running a family, it, it doesn't really matter. I, I find huge value in that. And it's, it's something I have not rolled out uh, with the team at Bulletproof, uh, although we use a bunch of other metrics. <laughs> like we, everyone uh, has their, their love language visible. So right. if, if you're going to oh, acknowledge, someone, it, you know, yeah. stuff like that matters. Like, you know, if one employee wants a pat on the back, literally, and another one doesn't want you anywhere near them, but they like a gift. Hey, if you know that, then, you know, get them a pencil that says thanks. Like it's easy, but only if you have right. the data. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I, I'm not promising that I'm going to do this, but I'll, I'll, I'll chat with my, my team about potentially rolling this tool out to do uh, at least a beta because uh, it, it'd be kind of fun. Well, and it, it matters and the data at a national level is just incredible that this year we'll lose 370 billion in productivity due to just people not being engaged at work, something that's preventable, right? We lose, you know, our healthcare spend. What is the cost of stress-related disease, you know, in this country? It's just, it's just, it's, it's almost immeasurable because yeah. it's, it's so significant. Think about the cost of turnover, unwanted turnover, and the cost to replace, you know, someone that you've just lost for whatever reason. It's just, yeah. it's big bucks. It completely changes everything and just the disruption and it slows things down. Right. So then now we've got a tool and people I didn't ask uh, in terms of getting access to the tool. Is there uh, an online version of it? I know that you write about it in the book, but uh, just in terms of a listener saying, I want to know how I'm doing right now. Is it is this accessible or do you have to be a company to do it? I haven't. Uh, you, the tool. 
you can write us at info at life-xt.com and we'll send you a link. Okay, that's cool. So, uh, and by the way, obviously we didn't plan that. So there's no affiliate. This is kind of cool. Uh, right. So but I want to come back to something that you said, which is just I'll put an exclamation mark about it. I mean, think of the energy that you bring to your, you know, your work and your company and then having everybody that works, you know, across the, the growing bulletproof empire, right. Bring that same energy and the things that you can build in the tools and the rituals and the support that you can build into just the, the in the course of a day that make you know just make it not just a great place to work but that invest in people's well-being which then helps them invest in their wellness because we you know we know the science of habit change and so we can teach the science around well-being and then they just start to make better life choices and everybody wins and just everyone's easier to be around you write about a bunch of of tools for training that skill of well-being uh, in your book but you also talk about the secondary thing, which is training the skill of attention. What's the difference between training attention and training well-being? Well, we think that attention is the key here. So we've developed what we call the master practice of notice, shift, rewire. That does two things. It, it really leverages the science of habit change around training the skill of attention, and I'll unpack that in just a second. And it really, it, it leverages the, the, you know, what the scientists know to be true about, you know, the fact that our brains are neuroplastic. So our brains literally change. So if we can use our brain to develop attention to change our brain, this sort of starts the, you know, the, the upward spiral of goodness around this. So notice shift rewire is just a very simple practice that helps people do it. So notice, just Notice that we're lost in thought. And Matthew Killingsworth's you know, seminal piece of um, uh, research that came out of, um, of Harvard a few years ago, uh, Killingsworth and Gilbert, you know, determined that our minds are wandering 47% of the time, so half the time. And most importantly, when our minds are wandering, we're less happy. So if we can start to notice you know, that our minds are wandering and then shift, which is this idea of just bringing our attention back to what is here now and in the present moment. And then rewire by just spending you know, 10 seconds, 15 seconds, 20 seconds with, you know, with the thought, with the new, the new thought to which we're, we're choosing to attend to. You know, then we stand a chance of being able to control our minds. We're learning how to control our minds. And we can start to unpack all sorts of amazing practices, you know, gratitude, relationships, contribution, compassion, on and on and on that, you know, that, that lead to incredible well-being and then downstream great wellness it reminds me of that cliche story about the native american who, who tells his his son you know there's, there's wolves <laughs> you know yeah, <laughs> you, which yeah. one are you going to feed the wolf or the whatever i'm forgetting the, the the full story yeah but you know which one wins the one you feed and you feed right. you feed those things Love. with your attention right? and it's the whole game william james um psychologist my experience is what i agree to attend to you know, we choose where we place our thoughts. As long as you're aware that you're placing them somewhere. And that's that skill of attention that you, you write about in your book. Exactly right. Do you have advice for people listening who might want to learn to how to integrate training or just how to train the skill of attention into their life? Like, how do you do this? Sure. The And that's what the book is. It's just full of tips to, to help people do that. So first is let's just unpack a little bit about the science of habit change. And, you know, we've distilled the science into just three 
easy to remember um, things to do. So uh, the three C's we call them. So commence small. If we want to start a new habit, which is, for example, training the skill of attention. Uh, this is work that comes out of BJ Fogg and Stanford, mm -hmm. tiny habits, just start small. And this is where my co-author, Nate Klemp, and I completely blew it. We said, okay, we're going to notice if we wire all day, every day, which is impossible. We, we were bound to fail with, with such a, you know, sort of impossible to achieve goal. But with a tiny habit, we, you stand, you know, you stand a chance. So, um, uh, BJ Fogg gives the example of, I'm going to do one push up. Right. Everybody can do one push-up. Right. Chances are, if you're doing one, you'll you'll do more than one. Uh, for us, we um, we we decided to set cues, which is the second C, and this is the work of Charles Duhigg. Right. Just set up a cue so you can remember to do it. And then thing three is commit. So commit small, set a cue, and then commit. And commit is is to make a hundred percent commitment. So not a ninety-nine percent commitment, which, as they say, is a bitch. But 100% commitment, which is really a breeze because it removes the possibility of even negotiating in your head. So a, a great example is I'm going to make a, I'm, you know, January 1st, I'm going to go to the gym every single day at 6 a.m. Now, that's not a tiny, that's not a tiny habit. That's a, that's a big one. And then what happens is we wake up and we begin, we begin the conversation in our head and we start negotiating with ourselves. Well, I'll go after work. Well, I'll go tomorrow. I'll just skip today. And then and then the parade of horribles really starts. <laughs> but if we start really small and we we determine a cue and then we set, uh, we make 100% commitment, it really just makes building in any habit that we want really easy. So we begin with that. Uh, and then, you know, as we lay out in the book, we have these, we have um, three foundational habits in, um, in what we call the train section. And these are meditation, um, movement, and inquiry. And these are things that, you know, Dave, you write about and talk about all the time. I mean, the power of you know, training the mind through meditation, it's a foundational habit. We recommend that people do it for five minutes a day, you know, three minutes if you need to start a habit really, really tiny, but you can build. And there's lots of, lots of fantastic you know, tools and support aids out there. Movement, you know, you're the, um, the Pied Piper here of you know diet and exercise and how to you know build in biohacks in a way that are just incredibly efficient but then inquiry which is a form of meditation of questioning or stressful thoughts you know asking is it true and again that is this learning to notice shift rewire learning you know what are we thinking about and identifying those stressful thoughts and then we have six more practices in the book that sort of fall into the what we call the the balancing of of being and doing which is you know being being a human being and and being um in you know, engage in the world, being present and um, showing gratitude and compassion and then doing, you know, focusing on relationships, focusing on engagement, really productivity, and then contributing to the world. And you can take any one of these habits, build, you think about the science of um, the science of habit change that we talked about, break it down and then build it into where we literally don't have to stop and, um, you know, and go and sit on a cushion for an hour a day or go, you know, live in a cave and, and meditate for, for three weeks. So a good example is building the, the habit of, of presence. It's learning the, learning the science of what it is to engage the parasympathetic nervous system with a four-by-four four breath. And then using a stop sign when you're driving 
just to notice I'm going to come to a full stop. I'm going to take a four by four breath as I'm pulling away. Very straightforward. Very simple habits that just continuously throughout the day reset the nervous system. Uh, exactly right. I ended up going down the path of using lots of feedback for that. Things like heart rate variability training and, and learning, oh, this is what it feels like when my body is kicking out of that calm, attentive state into something else, because it's not a signal that I learned to pay attention to. I don't think most of us do. And right. I'm going, oh, now that I know that, I know how to go back. But until I learned to to sense it and then to do something about it, like it, it was sort of, it was all noise. I'm like, oh, wait, there's a signal in the noise. And then that became just a habit. So anytime you feel yourself becoming oversympathetic, maybe anytime, most of the time anyway, you catch it and then you can do something about right. it. But only if the attention is there in the first place, which is why I think it's kind of cool the way you talk about attention and then building that in. Right. No, exactly right. And then once it's built in, you don't even have to pay attention because it's just there. It's subconscious and it's serving you. Yeah, it becomes a habit, right? <laughs> becomes a habit, right? It's incredibly efficient. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show, uh, partly because uh, you know, you've, you've had this incredible career and you see a lot of meditation teachers who... Are, have focused their life on meditation and do spend you know, two and a half hours a day meditating, which is an incredible luxury uh, in order to be able to do that. I've found I have you know, two kids uh, and more than one job as CEO and, and a husband and you know writing books and all that stuff. I don't really have two and a half hours a day uh, to meditate. Uh, it'd be kind of cool, but if I did, I wouldn't. I still have other things I'd rather do. I'd at least hook electrodes up to myself while I did it right. and accelerate it. Like there, there has to right. be a way. And, and so you found a way without spending two and a half hours a day meditating. How many hours a day do you meditate? <laughs> well, I have a, <laughs> I have a profound meditation practice. So I spend about an hour a day okay. in a formal practice on the cushion. You do. Uh, that okay. said, I'm meditating all day long. And so this idea, and I, lo I love where you're going with this, because the idea of integrating these habits in our lives is really where I started. Because I didn't start with an hour a day meditation practice. I started with five minutes. And, but I also started with when I'm, you know, I have a, you know, really um, intense Starbucks habit. So I'm at Starbucks a few days, uh, a few times a day. And when I'm in line at Starbucks, I'm keeping my phone in my pocket. And I'm just using it as an opportunity to practice the skill of presence. Completely integrated, easy to do. And now when you know when I walk into a Starbucks, I actually just habitually go into a complete, you know, a complete kind of mode of presence because it's just my way of being now. Similarly, with the practice of gratitude, I needed a cue, you know, in the in the spirit of, of Duhig, I needed a cue to remember to practice gratitude. So I built in two cues. One is when I wake up, you know, I won't get out of bed without just literally taking one minute. To, to engage the mind and all the things. And there's just so many of them to feel grateful for. And the other is meals. And, and uh, as I sit down you know, with our family, and the, you know, I've got three kids as well, and they tease me mercilessly that I say, hey, guys, let's do, uh, um, let's do gratitudes. And it's gotten to the point where I don't even say that anymore. I just do it. And they, they just look at me. And <laughs> It's just, uh, it's great fun. But in order to develop that habit, I had to put a sticker by my place at our, at our dinner table at home just, just to remember to notice shift and rewire. So, you know, notice here's an opportunity, shift to gratitude, and then rewire and just stay with it for 20 seconds and let it sink in. You know, it's the neural feedback. And, and so we can 
we can build these habits into the living of our lives in, in incredibly efficient ways. Uh, very cool. All right, an hour a day. What kind of meditation are you doing for an hour a day? Uh, well, it varies, and it depends really on what's, what's happening. Um, but this morning, for example, just pure uh, Zochen, you know, eyes open, everything open, just um, sort of an open awareness practice of, of watching what is here now and what is you know, just a fantastic practice. Now, your kids are what ages? Uh, 19, 18, and 15. That's why you get an hour in the morning without. Yeah, oh, it's different. <laughs> <laughs> and I get up at four. Okay. So that's um, that's another secret. I, yeah. I I am not a morning person. It's not my chronotype. I woke up at five a.m. every morning uh, for two years, and I meditated for one to two hours a morning, and it was beneficial. I found you could replace, mm -hmm. uh, you know, two hours of sleep with an hour of good meditation. Uh, but once I, once I had kids, they have spidey senses and they know when you wake up. So they'll wake up too. And no, I've heard you say that. The first time I heard you say that, I just laughed because it was exactly it. We've, I've always gotten up early and our eldest son would always be up early with me and think, well, what's that about? <laughs> of right. course, it's exactly that. It's like I was going to meditate, but now, you know, let's not. And, and so that definitely changed my practice. I, I do more in the evenings and I frankly do more with computer stuck to my head because uh that's very focused time and i i get a higher return on that investment uh, right but i'm i'm abnormal that way just that well i'm really excited to do 40 years of zen so that's in my future uh when whenever you're ready it's, it'll be there for you now i i think we we've talked a lot about meditation and just the idea that you're a, a phenomenally successful guy who's who's built this into your life not by you know going off to uh, you know some monastery somewhere and having a you know, jump in with both feet but in an incremental path of, of just growing awareness studying making small changes in habits and then ultimately quantifying it so you can see that it works which is kind of the core recipe for hacking anything which is figure out that you want to work on it figure out a measure do stuff until the measure changes and then you know the stuff works but then the next step of science is okay why did it work like, like what are the underlying mechanisms? Can you walk our listeners through some of the mechanisms of like why the body will change when you grow awareness, when you grow attention? Well, the, the big idea here I touched on a few minutes ago is, is that of neuroplasticity, right? right? That the, the brain is neuroplastic. We know this now. We didn't know this 50 years ago, but now we, we know it. And, and Donald Hebb was really the father of this research, you know, first coined the expression neurons that fire together, wire together. And we know that. And that's the underlying science that, that drives, you know, this, the habit formation and the, all of the work here. Now, as we, you know, double click on any one of these practices and, you know, you were talking about memories and the hippocampus and, you know, um, as we double click around the brain and we think, you know, what happens with compassion? So Helen Wang and Richie Davidson's lab in, in Wisconsin um, who's really, you know, the, the preeminent neuroscientist who's done work on, you know, the brain and meditation did a, a, a seminal piece of work on compassion meditation and found that just, you know, a 30-minute dose over two weeks, 30-minute dose a day for two weeks literally, you know, um, changes the brain, you know, shrinks the amygdala, you know, drives much more activation in the left prefrontal cortex, 
you know, increases feelings of altruism on and on and on. I mean, it's really interesting. So the different, you know, the different practices ignite different, you know, different regions of the brain and different mechanisms. And, and I'm speaking to, uh, to a great expert here. It's, but it's exciting stuff. It's an exciting time because that the other piece that is um, especially encouraging is the volume of research now yeah. that is being that is being done and funded and being released on all of this is incredible. And we're going to look back at today and we we'll say, God, we were living in the Stone Ages. <laughs> just we just like what were we doing? Right? I, I I think so, and it's also necessary. Because we've got a lot of people on the planet, and if you have a lot of people walking around full of anxiety and fear, uh, they generally don't take care of the place. Uh, so when we have a little bit more attention and awareness, we might like the world we live in uh, right. more than we do now. Yeah. No, that's right. And this is the Dalai Lama's big thing: just you know, compassion. It's really the only thing that we need, and it starts. It starts here. It starts at home. Yeah. yeah. If, you, if you don't have compassion for yourself, it's hard to have it for something else. Right. Right. And how much how much better is it to be around that energy? It's a lot more pleasant, a lot more fun. And uh, my experience has been that that the more uh, the more I can cultivate that stuff in myself, uh, the more I like it. But also, then I end up meeting just really cool people, <laughs> and I have the opportunity to make friends, uh, you know, that I, I might not have made friends with before. And, and it's right. it's definitely enriched my life. Uh, but it does require you know having that arm wrestling inside your head for a while, right? Now, I definitely enjoyed uh, Start Here, and I thank you for sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom on the show. And I have one more question for you. If someone came to you tomorrow, Eric, and they said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do as a human being, what are the three most important pieces of advice you'd have for me? What would you mm. offer them? Well, I'll answer that question this way, and I'll key in on the word advice as opposed to three specific practices. And I'll drop in with just this, again, the core idea that well-being is a skill that can be trained. It is about training the skill of attention, and we can do it in a really efficient, integrated way um, in living of our lives. So thing one is, is build a foundation. And what that means is, is you know, develop some form of meditation practice, whether it's you know, formal on the cushion or you know, a presencing practice or the Socratic practice of inquiry, but it's just foundational for looking inward. And it could be five minutes a day is a clinically effective dose, but it's a, it's a good place to start. Thing two, and we talked about it, is, is develop attention through the skill of, of notice shift rewire, which is you know, I know you just had Sean on the uh, on the podcast. It's kind of like insanity or P90X and CrossFit for your brain. That's what Notice Shift Rewire is. It's just an internal workout that lets you cross-train anywhere, anytime, carry it around in your pocket. No one knows, and you're just constantly changing your brain and, and liter literally leveraging the biology of, of neuroplasticity to your advantage. And then thing three is, is I'd say, engage, read, listen to podcasts, find, you know, so plug into the community. There's, there is so much, uh, so much uh, content now being produced and it's fantastic. I mean, you know, just literally the you know, Bulletproof podcast alone. I mean, the, the, the range and the variety of, of topics that you cover is really you know, it's 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 very cool, but it's also inspirational, and I, and I think for people to to you know not lose the thread of encouragement, of inspiration, to know that there's people out there who who you know who can help and can encourage you. I think is just is just um, 
I think it's just, it's it's important. Well, thank, thanks for the plug, <laughs> and uh, yeah. uh, I I love that advice, which is you know learn from learn from others who've done the work. Learn for from you. others. Like, yeah. It's okay to be lazy that way, <laughs> right. and keep learning. Though that's the thing, keep learning. You know, there's this notion of effort and, and courage, and and you know all of this, and it becomes habit, right? It becomes easier and easier and easier. But you know, you can spend, you can choose to spend 20 minutes zoning out on Facebook or sitting on the couch. You know, flip on the TV, you know, or um, or sort of engage in a practice that you know is actually going to lead to you know different conditions down the road and and fundamental you know, fundamentally make you happier. Very well put. If I'm keeping track, that's two. Was there a so third one is one is build the foundation to engage in, in training the skill of attention with, with notice shift require as a master practice. And three is learn from others. Oh, learn from others. Okay, cool. Got it. That was a good summary. Thank you. I, I merged the first two together. Like, you got one more for me, man. But all right, that was three. Right. Eric, uh, people can find your book online. It's called Start Here. And where else can they go to learn more about the ability to measure their stuff? You gave an email address earlier. Let's repeat that again. Sure. It's www.life-xt.com. It stands for Life Cross Training. And of course, you can buy the book through the site, which will link you to any, any bookseller, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, you name it. Beautiful. Well, thanks for being on Bulletproof Radio. Thanks for being willing to talk about what goes on between the, the ears uh, and even further down in the heart and gut and everywhere else in a, in a successful CEO and investor and just generally good human beings. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave. Great fun for me. If you like today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to iTunes. You can go to bulletproof.com slash iTunes. It'll take you directly to the show page and just leave a quick review that says, hey, this was worth your time. And if you read Start Here, head on over to Amazon and authors like Eric and me, we look at those reviews and so does everyone else. When you do that, it does two things for you. Number one, it lets you express gratitude, which raises your IQ by at least 100 points right there. Okay, maybe not, but at least you got to express some gratitude. But more importantly, you get a lot of value from spending, I'm guessing it took me about two and a half hours uh, to go through the book. So if you spend two and a half hours and you get way more return on that time than you put into it, leave a review because that matters actually way more than you actually buying the book, just going there and telling us how we did as authors. So take the time to leave a review uh, for Eric and for anyone else whose book is really cool. It's a simple thing you can do. It's like way easier than leaving a tip at, at dinner, but it really matters for us. So thanks for doing it. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.